0: Hello, my friend, and welcome back to another episode of the Seven Figure Millennials Podcast, where it is my job to uncover the winning strategies that will help you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And today's podcast guest is Raj Goodman Anand. Raj is the founder of Goodman Lantern, which is a team of native English content writing services that help businesses sell better and grow faster. He's an engineer by profession, has founded three startups, raised capital, and taken one venture from zero to acquisition. And he has not only had a flourishing career within startups, but also within large and mid-sized organizations working on launching startups or new products within them. And the products he has built have made companies in excess of over 45 million pounds. Raj has also won Business Week's Europe Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award and has been named Revolutions Magazine's 50 Most Influential People in Digital and has been featured in places like The Telegraph, The Guardian, Business Week, and Observer. And Raj and I recently connected on LinkedIn, had a chat, and I wanted to bring him on the show because of all the cool things that he's working on. you can tell he's a really heart-centered entrepreneur that believes in making an impact and doing really good things in the world. So here are three ear nuggets for you to listen for. Number one, how Raj's first company that was acquired was actually UK's largest dance based hen party company. And if you're from anywhere but the UK, you might not have any idea what the heck a hen party is. So make sure you listen to find that out. It's a really funny story. Uh, Number two, how Raj's company Goodman Lantern provides such an incredible experience that they currently get 75% of their customers from referrals. And number three, why Raj believes on focusing team first over focusing on customers first. It's really interesting to listen to his approach on that. So we dive into those three things and so much more so please enjoy this conversation with raj goodman anand if you had to pick between a making a ton of money b being happy healthy and surrounded with people you love or c making a meaningful impact on the world which would you choose the good news is that today we don't have to choose so, the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the Seven Figure Millennials podcast.
1: All right, Raj, welcome to the
0: show. Super excited to have you here.
1: And good to be on. Thank you very much for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, this is going to be a blast, and I've had a ton of fun doing research on all the incredible stuff that you've done. And so I know just from my research, you founded three startups, you had a successful exit of one, you won all these awards, and so I was prepping for this interview, and I thought a really fun place to start would be the company that ended up getting acquired. And so the research I found was that it was acquired by a UK company called Extreme Events in 2012, and uh, before the acquisition, you grew the company from zero to one of the UK's largest dance-based hen party companies and so we have mostly us listeners and so i've been to the uk so for the us listeners that are like what the heck is a hen party <laughs> can you explain what a hen party is and how you ended up in that business
1: well so a hen party for for non-british listeners is a bachelorette party <laughs> and so it, it it's kind of bizarre how an engineer started studied ai and we did research at university, ended up in bastard parties. But the long story short is I had a friend and he was really keen on, on salsa dancing. I thought this is like a really good niche to be a niche to be to part of. So I'm like, great, you know, let me do the, the marketing and website. You do the dance based stuff. Let's see what we can take this thing. It was more of a weekend and weekday sort of bit of fun, you know, on the side. It was never meant to be a, a you know, a proper business as such. but. Um, Things with entrepreneurship is that's crazy. You know, you have got to take some risks, uh, obviously calculated risks. So you take take the risk and you try different things out, and you never know where you, where you might hit a home run. So with with this business, it was actually um, is using a strategy which was to keep things simple. You know, just keeping it simple, just keeping it 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 really really easy for people to do things and you know innovating in a way which is not groundbreaking. I wasn't building a Tesla or Rocket X or SpaceX. I was literally building um, a simple way to book bachelorette parties online, and back then there wasn't anybody doing this kind of stuff. You know, using good content, using good SEO techniques, I could get myself ranked really high on on, on Google. And then we began with sort of, you know, we began with three three services: one in Brighton in the UK, in London. Um, and we had like sort of, you know, salsa dancing, a uh, bit of street dancing uh, as a package. And that was the genius about it. Like I was st- taking a simple idea of like dance-based hen parties, which is a very common thing in British hen parties is those have dance lessons within them. 70% of hen parties have dance within them. And that was the th- secret sauce behind the business. It's like to know what to put in to every hen party to make it work and ours was dance experiences in which they would learn in the lessons for about an hour, one hour and a half and then they would then go ahead and you know go for the dinner or, or, the, or, the, or, the, or the clubbing um, and that business grew from three services or three packages in, in two cities to 45 services in 35 cities across Europe and it was as you mentioned the largest dance space hand party company which i first sold to 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 one buyer and then was sold again uh, so you know we've we've had two two sales there and um, it was a great journey i must say brandon it was it was just fun to kind of see the company grow from a silly idea in a spare bedroom to you know seeing it grow to something which is substantial and you know made people smile Uh, remember the fun times they had with us and I could recommend us to their friends and family.
0: So that's hilarious. I think it's super funny that you got a guy running a hen party business. And did you say it was a a co-founder was another guy that was running the business with you. So it was two dudes that were running a hen party company. Is that correct?
1: Yes. We began to, two two men started the hen party company and bizarrely enough, uh, we had, you know, it grew really well. We actually bought in, uh, we got a third founder coming in as well later, uh, which was actually some, the way we can exit the company eventually. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, eventually I bought out the shares uh, from my, my co-founder and I started, ran the show on my own
0: for a bit. And actually it was, it was a great journey. That's that's so fun. And the, the thing that I want to highlight for our listeners too, is the fact that you said you were the largest dance-based hen party company. So it's just kind of a lesson in and of itself of niching down and choosing that one specific thing because the customers knew what they could come to you for. It wasn't just like somebody that could do everything, that you just chose that specific thing. So... You grew that from like you said your basement, so what happened after selling that? so it wasn't something you ever expected to to be doing, but then I'm sure one day you kind of woke up and you're like, "Okay, now I'm with this thing, now I'm onto the next best thing." So what happened that day after you sold the business? Were you starting to think of something already, or what were the next steps that you began to take?
1: Well, it was very unusual because this was this was never my core business. I always thought of this right. as a fun thing, and um as with most people, I, I didn't stop the next day. I didn't say, okay, no, well, I've, hit, I've just hit the jackpot now. I'm going to stop today. I'm going to go ahead and you know take a, take a year off. I literally, that business sold. I was on the next business already. I had some uh, research done on the next business and I was already thinking about that. So there was no break as such. There wasn't a transition as such. I was, you know, I, I was, I'm so driven by, making change happen that I didn't want to stop my you know, thoughts I didn't want to kind of take a pause and say you know what let's l- let's just wait and see because I was already ready for the next idea I was already ready to kind of uh, look at the next best thing I could do in, in my career so um, don't the short answer is uh, it was like a normal day for me next day I, I woke up and Maybe a bit richer, but then it wasn't like it wasn't like oh uh, this is this is a ground breaking. Now I'm gonna start working. I'm gonna just, just kind of you know go to Bahamas and stay there for for a bit. That, that was that wasn't the next day,
0: not at all. So did you have a business idea already in mind for the next thing that you were gonna to start to work on? Like you were already starting to dream of it as you were wrapping things up with the previous acquisition? Sure answer is yes, and that business actually
1: didn't take off that well. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was uh, it was a business in. Uh, what we call the NFC near field communication chips, which are the chips which you you click, you take your contactless card and you touch them on the machine. There's a chip inside your card and your phone. That's called the NFC. So I was looking at ways to make payments happen uh, through NFC chips, for example. And uh, so uh, I did a year of research, I went to conferences to learn about it. Um, just never took off to be honest it's not very well publicized on my profile for example i don't talk too much about it but you know winning and losing or winning and learning are part of life and i celebrate the the learning as as, as i do the winning in fact i actually love celebrate the times when i didn't make it because that taught me more than when i made the acquisition happen for example or made a huge sale for example it's always Learning for me is really important for my career, for my, for my life, for my growth.
0: I love that. And I think that as entrepreneurs, if you have the approach that you're either winning or you're learning, you really can't go wrong, right? And it's funny because I've been thinking a lot about happiness as an entrepreneur and lots of entrepreneurs tie their outcomes that they want to achieve to their happiness. Like, oh, when I get this, I'll be happy. But I think if you have the approach that Raj has, where it's either you're winning or you're learning, happiness is really not in the achievement of the goals. It's in the day-to-day it's in the experience every single day of just being happy that you're either winning or you're learning and you're having a good time. So I wanted to dive into uh, the next part is so, so you had this NF, NFC I'm thinking football in the, in the United States football is the, the, <laughs> the NFC. Uh, anyways, um, business number three. So that was, it didn't work out after the hen party company. And so what was the next successful company that started taking off then?
1: So, yeah, so the, uh, the company was called Midas Oro and was an NFC company. Uh, a lot of tongue twisters there, I must say. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, uh, beyond that, I was thinking about sort of the next thing which I'll be working on. So as it happens, everything I do is more or less linked to marketing. So either I use marketing, digital marketing in my business, or I build digital marketing companies. That's that's the way I kind of build my sort of uh, businesses or think about businesses, and with um with the the sort of the learnings of Midas Oro and the NFC I I sort of started looking at content writing because prior to uh the sale of the company and while I was sort of I was doing this hen party company on the side I was also working for a a company in Europe which was my full-time gig actually so I was working you know 20 hours sometimes, I was working like insane hours um, at, at one point where I was doing a, a full-time role as the head of innovation and then the CEO of the company. Um, and in the evenings, I was doing this, this hen party company. And in, in that company, I took the company from 7.5 million to 45 million euros of revenue uh, in, 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 in a span of sort of four to five years. And was basically in the space of customer uh, assistance, so helping them with technology, for example, and really helping the com- the company in particular to, to scale up their innovation and how to tell a good story. Because a lot of times people buy from businesses when they resonate with them, when they think about what connects them together. Right. The, 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 the interesting thing is people first uh, emotionally buy something in, in, in their mind and then rationalize it uh, right. eventually. And I I was, you know, keen to kind of know the story for the company. And with that organization, I really looked at content and strategy in terms of like storytelling, and that really helped me scale up. So the idea was, how can I use that learning and allow my customers in my new business to use that to help them scale up, for example. And so we formed Goodman Lantern, which is a a organization I still run, Uh, it it is a, a team of Native English content writers. We help our customers sell better and grow faster. Uh, in particular, we help cu- customers with all the content writing, right from you know short form like marketing content, for example, like social media article writing, right through to eBooks, e-commerce uh, white papers, ghost writing. So we do the entire end-to-end uh, writing for our customers and really become part of their team. Um, help them really scale up their 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 SEO and content writing opportunities within the company.
0: There's so much that you said that I think was super really valuable that I want to unpack. The, the first comment that you made was about how people buy on emotion, but they justify on logic. I think that's a really good insight for people to think about is that how are you telling more powerful stories in your business? And the other thing that you kind of just breezed over, I didn't realize that the Hen Party Company... Was literally just like a part-time thing. It wasn't even. It wasn't ever a full-time thing. You were always just working on it on the side while you were crushing it with this other company.
1: Yes, well, I think that is the fundamental thing I learned after my first business, which, which which didn't go to go to plan. My first business after out of university was social media software business, and it didn't go, go to plan because I was doing everything myself. I sure. wasn't delegating enough. I wasn't actually thinking about working on the business not in the business sure. and b- with my learnings from that from that learning of that failure potentially i actually learned that delegation is key to succeed and so you know that's what i'm really good at now i, I think of ideas i implement them but it's not me doing all, all the work it is having a very good team uh, a good management to really help me scale up grow and really take to the next level with the business the concept, the service, the product.
0: So how do you delegate? Because I know there's, there's lots that we can unpack there and there's wrong ways to delegate and there's right ways to get, delegate. So as somebody that has learned an effective way of delegating, can you maybe share some insights that you've developed that have helped you to be a more effective delegator?
1: Well, delegation begins, in my experience, from finding the right team which is hmm. the hardest thing to kind of do actually. To find a, a really good team takes a lot, but the next step is to motivate them. So let me kind of dive a di- bit deeper into kind of find the right team. So in the past, I used to find people based on their skills and what they can do in terms of their ability, their knowledge, for instance. But I realized that actually I was doing it all wrong. That actually the most important part is to Make sure that they are in the same mindset, and more importantly, that the core values which they have resonate with our core values. And that's when I learned that particular element of core values, and, and how important that is. That's when things changed for me completely. So today, when I interview for for, for team members, and just kind of mention the first forty team members are all company founders because they helped form your company culture. So in Goodman Lantern and in the previous companies, the first thing I would do is to interview people based on their skills and core values. I'll ask them questions which will ask them about how their values match my values and the company's values. So for example, in Goodman Lantern, we have things around experimentation, integrity, it's about really making sure people are exper- experimenting, improving themselves, uh, really having the integrity ab- towards uh, customers and other team members. But that's really important for me. It's really important for Goodman Lantern to, to have that those, those, those skill sets there. Once we have those core values in place, many a times you can teach people how to be a, a great UX person. decent to be a good UI person, but they don't have the, the same beliefs and values. At some point, they will not sort of grow with the company. They will go sideways. And that's the worst thing for a company founder. You want your team, especially especially the top management, the upper layer, to really be in line with you. So they can resonate and they can inculcate the culture of the company to future employees when they hire people for the company as well. This way, with the general, you have you and the rest of the team in the same mindset and even if you're not there, for example, on an everyday basis, your team represents you as a person and is actually helping you scale up in a very nice way.
0: Yeah. I love that your answer to the delegation question is like, let's not actually talk about the tactics of delegation. Cause it's like, if you're delegating to the wrong people to begin with, you're going to get a subpar result, even if you delegated it in the most effective way possible. So it really starts way before you're delegating any tasking, making sure that you're on the same page. And there's a one of my good friends, Benjamin Hardy, he wrote the book, Who, Not How. And I think that that's really important to think about as entrepreneurs. It's like, if you're going to grow and scale as a company, the most important thing is not how to do everything, but rather who can help you do something. And if you're surrounded by people that are in alignment with your culture and who you are as a person, and like you said, that represent. Who you are, because like they're out there being the the representatives of your company and is essentially you. It's really important to make sure that that's done appropriately. And I think there was something else that I came across in my research that you were talking about that in another interview that I thought was really interesting is that you were joining EO Entrepreneurs Organization and it made you think about moving from customer focus to team focus first. And I thought that was really interesting because you had talked about how hiring the appropriate team flows directly to the customer. So can you touch on that? insight for you? Because I think that's directly related to what we were just talking about as well.
1: Well, when it comes to company implementation, thought process, in one founder, two founders cannot do the, the entire sort of job of scaling up or thinking about the company's future. Is a team of people. And the team-first approach actually really helps because if your team is... In line with you, they trust you. They trust the company, and they see the future of the company. They will put in everything they have to help the company grow further. So I kind of moved away from sort of this mindset of customers first to team first, because if I treat my team well, my team will treat my customers well as well. So actually, it's it's a win-win for everybody. We kind of do that. For example, you know, with my team. Uh, especially the the, the, the sort of managers of the company, we do a, a bonus scheme, which is a monthly bonus scheme. So as we earn more, they get a higher bonus per month. And it's, it's because I believe that if we are growing as a company, it's because of our team, the way they treat our customers, the way they kind of plan the strategy of the company, the way they execute on the promise which we have made to our customers. So actually making sure the teams are happy to go out of our way, for example, to offer them, you know, um, support when their families are in need, for instance, or helping them when, when they, you know, when they are down or taking them out for a good retreat, for example, To we went to Bangkok, not this year, the year before, nice. the whole team to, to Bangkok, it's just to kind of make sure that we actually enjoy as a team and bond together because we are a remote team. It's really important because we then, we actually invest in the future of our team, and they see that as well. And then they put in everything they've they got to, to, to help grow the company further. And with my teams, I don't think about sort of, um, oh, I'm going to hire somebody for a couple of years and that's great. And you know, you know, know, let's see how, how, how they last. My aim for anybody to hire is that they're going to be with us for the next 10 years, for example. Wow. Uh, I don't think about short-term. With the customers, with our team members, with the company, my thinking always is long-term. Because I think, the magic really happens in in, in the long term game. Short term games, uh, whether you hear Warren Buffett, for example, or you ask somebody else who's you know like Gary Wee, they all will say that it's all about the long term game because you actually see opportunities and the strategies unpack themselves when you are looking at five years plus. Less than that is too short a time to really make it, make a difference.
0: Yeah, I think there's a Tony Robbins quote. It's something along the lines of like we underestimate how much we can do in a year, but we overestimate. We, we overestimate how much we can do in a year, but we underestimate how much we can accomplish in like 10 years. And it's really funny because we're so hard on ourselves in the short term. And that's another thing as an entrepreneur, it's like we're, we're hard on ourselves all the time. So maybe that'd be an actually interesting thing to talk about is like, how do you do you act, Do you have a process where you actively count your wins? Like, how do you make sure that you're actually making sure that you're in a good mental state as an entrepreneur, instead of just beating yourself up on maybe the short term vision?
1: It's a really hard one. I think again, uh, going back to the idea of, of teams. Um, earlier, when I was company, company founding the company on my own, it was all about sort of like, okay, how do I keep myself motivated and how do I keep myself sort of in line with the next step for the company. But when you have a team and they are thinking about together, you know, we have, for example, uh, weekly rocks, which is basically you know a, a sort of a Analysis of what we're going to do this week. Then we have monthly goals and we have quarterly goals and we have half yearly and annual goals. And in this process, the entire team, especially the, the, the top management, is working together with me to plan the next year, two years, three years. And we have a thing called a, a vivid vision, uh, which there is like arrow. a document. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you read about it. So, you know, exactly like thinking about, you know, 2022 will be in this way. we will achieve this for example. and as it happens, the goals we have for 2022 this year itself we kind of more or less achieved it to be honest. so we, again this is a problem which we have sometimes you sometimes because you know things are not as merry as they used to be because of the pandemic for example, you know you, you kind of fear that it could be the worst year possible. but when you have the team with you and you have a proposition which is very unique and and different, Clients are behind you as well. They believe in you as well. They also send you customers and, and and referrals, for instance. And combination of the team and the clients put together keeps you on path. I mean, this year we've had a, a fantastic year. Obviously, it's been a very hard year because you we know, all work from home, and we had clients who had, had had a difficult time, and we had to kind of help them through this this tough this tough journey. But Apart from the health and the, the, the tough economic situation, actually, the company has grown really well this year. It's a testament to our strategy and a focus on the people, customers and team members put together, and really focusing on those things first and having those rocks and milestones in place to keep telling ourselves, you know what? Guys, we have to hit this goal as a team together. What can I do to help you make that, make that change so we can get to that point in the next two years?
0: That's cool. And I love the idea of counting your wins and just reassessing with your your entire team. And I love how focused you are on your team. And there's so much I want to unpack. And you had mentioned something maybe five, six minutes ago that I wanted to make sure that I asked you because I think it's so interesting, is how you're structuring the profit share based on revenue for your team. So would you mind specifically diving into that topic, like how you're thinking about organizing that? Is it each department is responsible for a certain thing and they get a percentage of the revenue based on what they create? Or can you just share how you've structured that? Because I think that's very interesting.
1: Well, I mean, we have what we've done is we have we, we manage our accounts on, on a daily basis. So we got our accounts team, which does the accounts on a daily basis, looking at the incomings and outgoings. And our, our profit share is based on the, um, the profit we make as a company, and that's divided by sort of each department. So each department head has an, as a KPI to, to sort of to, to kind of meet in terms of growth for example, but also retention of customers as well. so not only do they deliver the service but they're also thinking as a company owner because their goals and their sort of upsides are in line with the the company and company shareholders upsides as well. Um, many times you see that there's you know there's sales. There's operations, there's marketing, and they all have different goals. Operational just do the job really well, don't care about the, you know, the, right. the incoming new customers. And sales is all about sort of, oh, I'll make, make as many customers as possible. I don't really care about who, who, who then you know, gets them to, to be serviced. Whereas in, in our company, our structure really is that you know, while we have the sales team, we have the operations managers, but actually the alignment of the goals are very similar. So if we get more customers and they stay with us longer and, and they're servicing in the right way, it increases the actual revenue of the company. And if serviced in the right way, there will be, you know, the optimal cost for that as well to service them. And if there is that kind of margin which we have there, that's then shared with our team. So we, we, we try to make sure the motivations are aligned across the company and not that, you know, salespeople are thinking about just the, the revenue yeah. and not about bottom line, for example. It, it has to be aligned. And I think, you know, in my previous experience, I, I think at some points I kind of forgot about um, the profitability of the company. I was thinking more about what we do and the marketing of it, not actually, you know, how do that, how does that leave to dollars of to the company and how much money we bank at the end of it. So this way of working is transparent. It's very difficult because you have to, have to be completely honest with the customers and your team members that listen. Yeah. This is what we're making here. And this is the the margin as well, the company. And Mr. Operations or Ms. Operation Manager, it's your ch- chance now to join by making sure that you, you keep the customers happy, retain them longer, and actually help us to make them really happy. Because if they're happy, they will talk, talk about us, they'll save us longer, and we all win together.
0: There's that was so powerful. So thank you for sharing that. That's a lot to think about. And it's funny because I've been playing lots of chess lately. And it's funny because like when you're when you're beginning in chess, you don't realize that when you move a piece, not only does the piece occupy a new space that controls new territory, but it left a space behind. And you have to think about how the moving a piece not only in the new position it's controlling new areas, but like what did it move behind? And the reason why I bring that up is because I think that as a business owner, like you said, it's very hard or very easy actually to think about your employees or your, your different sections of the company as just a piece moving when really it's like they're really making more impacts than just the new move that they made. It's like the operations is going to have impacts on the sales team. And unless you have a system to cohesively make sure that the teams understand and are visible and seeing all the impacts of their movements, it really can have negative impacts on the team. So I love how just the structure of making sure that there's profit sharing and that, hey, once your job is done here, it could potentially impact this other area. Let's make sure that we're all communicating. I think that's incredibly powerful. Um, the uh, the so One other thing that you you ended on, that I think I wanted to touch on is customer satisfaction. That I saw on your site, Uh, where did I, I have a screenshot on my notes here somewhere. Um, 100% customer satisfaction with 147 clients. So like, that's pretty incredible. So how do you manage that customer satisfaction as a team? And can you maybe share some insights on how you approach the communication on how you make that happen?
1: Well, I mean, we're still a small company, so it's it's relatively easier. But um, our philosophy is that you keep customers happy you have to go out over and above the the actual you know the legal framework in which you work with so you know if you say for example we'll be doing your content for your articles uh we'll be doing some content for your your social media you know we also go we go beyond that and actually give, give them some some of our, our our thoughts our advice just not billable so we, we won't build build them for that but we'll go out of our way to make sure our, our customers are happy and they're winning. But I think that's really important. I think people forget that people are actually hiring you to to, to, to make their life easier so they can focus on the on the core business but also to win. And if their wins are aligned with our wins then actually we all win. So um when for example you know clients have a, a, a tricky time with business and you know they need someone to speak to, you know, all of them have my mobile number, for example, they can always give me a call, for instance. Similarly with our team, our head of operations, they give their numbers as well so they can call them if there's a problem. Typically, they won't call us because, you know, we have taken care of them. We've got an account manager in place. we got their writers, editors, all, all put in place for them they need it. But it's it's that sort of, availability for our customers and we are there for them when they are having a, a tough time. You are there for them not only to help them with their stuff which we do for them anyway, but also above and beyond. So they can they can call us and say, ask for our opinion for things, for example. And we will do that for them at no cost whatsoever. Um more than anything else, it's about sort of really being a person, a, a friend for our clients. I and mean, many of our clients, you know, think of us, us as they, as as one of the one of the best Professional friends. I mean, we really that's make that awesome. kind of effort. You know, we we, we, we get in the call with them, with some of them on a weekly basis. Some of them we, we do call twice a week, for instance. And, and these are these are especially for our larger customers. We actually put in the effort to be there for them as a team. We actually put in account managers so that they are always available if should they have, have a challenge or should they have to scale up, for example, because they have a, a need, for instance. Um that's a couple of things. Also um even if i'm based in the uk and my clients are in the us you know i'll I actually fly out for example to see them and that's a part of what i do so mm. at least once a year i mean this year's been very difficult because i mean obviously I, I couldn't travel i was i was in the us uh, early this year but after march i've not been able to like travel out but you know i try and meet my clients at least once or twice uh, every year because because you know sometimes we forget that you know in this online world people still miss face-to-face interaction. They want to see their, their, their teams, their suppliers on a regular basis, and that builds trust and that builds um, a feeling which you can't uh, sort of exchange or change with your Zoom calls or, right. or, or, or or your sort of telephone WhatsApp calls, for example. You have to still meet the client, So we make the extra effort uh, to go and meet our clients, to be there for them. And I think all these things, you know, whether you are – People say, oh, you know, it's, this is only there for B2C or B2B. And I think it's, that's all bullshit, really. It's all about P2P, person to person. You know, mm-hmm. if we are human beings and we're there for, for, for our teams and our customers, they will be there for us as well.
0: I love that so much. And at the end of the day, it seems like your formula or your secret sauce for quote unquote secret sauce is really just human connection, going above and beyond caring about your customers, caring about what their experience is not only with your company, but how are they doing as a company? How are they doing as a person and, and that's really powerful. How just as an interesting thing like how do you manage obviously you have a family. So like if you have your phone number and you're easily accessible, I mean there's there's a point where it's like yes, you need to be able to do that, but at the same time I can see sometimes that get, that gets out of hand. Do you have a way that you manage that? to make sure that it's not completely overtaking everything? Cause I feel like it's a, there's a boundary that you have to create. So how do you manage that?
1: Well, so far, I mean, almost every customer has my phone number. I've not got calls out of hours. For example, I've not had sort of like, you know, I've got, you know, WhatsApps, for example, sometimes when I'm having my lunch, for example, or dinner and, uh, you know, they are very reasonable for us to kind of get back to them within an hour, for instance. Um, and if, if it was, for example, an urgency, you know, I will happily call them if it was urgent, for instance. And I think my family understands that as well. This is you know, Goodman Lantern is my passion. Business is what I what I it's, it's kind of a it's a kind of a lifestyle, basically, choice which i made, which is to not get a job but actually run my own business. And you know, my family respects that. Uh, my, my wife is even she's from a business family, she runs her own business as well. And we understand that this is the way we we are brought up to be and this is how we are, and customers need that satisfaction, and they need that human touch. And if, if they need that, they should be able to communicate with the company's founder. So that's absolutely fine. For instance, equally, I think I don't think anybody doesn't know about my family. I mean, they all know my wife's name, for example. They might, they might, might even know my daughter's, daughter's name as well, and that I just had a daughter three months back. So again, transparency. I mean, and there's a human element there as well. I, I just, you know, I'm not like a robot. I'm a human being as well. You understand. <laughs> The elements of that as well and that's i think that's really important people should understand the ins and outs of the company owner who, who the person is what they do where they live that sort of stuff i think that really helps to kind of build a strong
0: foundation of trust between the customer and the supplier i love that that it just you you don't view this as like a disparate thing it's like every everything is all together it moves into your family life it moves into your business life it moves into your employee relationships so since we're, we're on this topic now I was curious to ask too, how do you and your wife work together? Because obviously it's like, even if you're I don't know if your wife is in the business day to day, but it's like, she is in the business if she's not in the business day to day. So how do you and your wife work together when it comes to you being the leader of a company?
1: Well, she's very supportive. Um, you know, she, uh, she, she's involved in business directly and indirectly both. So she is currently, uh, you know, she's, she's helping the company with a lot of the, the HR functions uh, you know the retreat which we organized, for example, was organized completely by her. Uh, you know she is the, the, the head heads that area, and then everybody else helps her. For example, all the um, quarantines we had, for example, while <laughs> while we were in TV. the pand- <laughs> pandemic, it was again organized by her. So I mean she plays an important role. She knows the team members, for example, as well, and she re- relates to that. I mean she knows, you know, what we need to do to kind of get to the next milestone. As a, as, a, as a family, we often discuss about, you know, our goals and um, our, uh, um, our businesses uh, goals as well. And they're very aligned, to be honest. You know, at the end of the day, the way you are in the business, you might even bring some of that to your home and from home to your business. And I think I have a happy balance there. It's equilibrium we've built over the, the last few years. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's I, I respect my family time. But when I have my weekends off, I am I am off. Um, but sometimes if I have to check, in, check an urgent email, I will do that for instance, and, that, and that's absolutely fine. Equally, you know, there are times when I have to take some time off from, from work to kind of attend to my daughter or my wife, and that's fine as well. I think at the end of the day, we build a business to to work with my family and my life as well. And it goes hand in hand, this is the, you know, it took a lot of trial and error to get to the stage. The first few times, I really screwed, screwed up really bad because obviously I didn't know how to make, keep a balance there. I worked really hard, didn't pay attention to my family or that I didn't have a family. I was, I was single then. So <laughs> it was all about work. And, and that was, was all about sort of getting the things done uh, in, 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 in the business. But now I, have, I, have, a, I have, a, have a good balance there and I like to keep the balance going. because I think it's, you know, work and business makes me happy. And so does my family as well. And I'm going to make sure that these two elements you know keep going as they are right now and I uh, keep the balance because i think that's really important to progress further uh, mentally and physically as well
0: alignment equals velocity i don't know where i heard that but like i truly believe that that's true because it's like if you're in alignment in your business life and your personal life you can just move so much faster because if they're not in alignment it definitely just it's like you're dragging a weight behind you at all times so Another interesting thing, just on this topic of you working with your wife, she's helping you with HR and all these other cool initiatives inside of your business. You know, maybe do you have like a story that you could share or maybe uh, an, a specific example of like, you know, your wife is along with this ride with you. You're this crazy entrepreneur. You know, you, you sometimes jump off and do these, you know, you have to do a new venture you, you sell a business. How do you handle risk and having those kinds of conversations with your wife when it comes to making a big decision that may impact your family life?
1: Um well I mean I remember when I was sort of working for um the organi- organization um in Europe, we had to sort of leave um Europe to open offices in Asia. So I was I was heading the operations, well, I actually started operations and then I was I was meant to head them as well in the Philippines, Hong Kong, India. Also, manage the operations in the UK as well. I was taking 280 flights per year. Um, what it was nuts, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I mean, it was literally a flight per per day, more or less. Um, but there are times when things are tricky, when you have to kind of jump into opportunities and it's going to neglect family life a little bit but then you also have times when you are actually uh taking time off from business and you're spending time with the family as well so at the end it balances things out i mean i just like you you know talked about of so finding your, your your team and finding your sort of um your, your ideal uh customers you know my, my my life is all about finding the right people and i think i think my wife is in the same wavelength as myself and that's what she's my wife Right. So she mm-hmm. understands that there is a, a risk there. there is these ups and downs and there will be challenges and there'll be good times as well. Uh, but we are in this together. And like everything else I do in life, it's a long term commitment to each other. So when we are committed to each other and we think about, you know, a, a journey, then we are there for each other when, when things go, when things are good and when, they, when they're not.
0: That's beautiful. This is this might be a rough transition, but well first of all, I, I want to make sure I thank you for sharing that because I think that's really beautiful that you're in alignment with your wife and she's helping out with all this stuff. I think that's really, really cool that you've had those conversations. The, the thing that I did want to make sure I revisited because I think this kind of goes back to our conversation earlier with uh, customer satisfaction. I came across also in my research that I think and you can quote me if you can fact check me if I'm wrong, I heard you say somewhere that 75% of your business comes from recommendations and referrals. Can you tell us a little bit about how you do that? Because that's really incredible.
1: Well, I mean, it's it, it, it's obviously, again, it's part of the, the actual ethos of what we built. Um, you know, we are a, uh, a content company. You know, we, we, we rely a lot on inbound marketing in general, for example. that That's just the way we, we work as a company. And um, many a times uh, we get our, our customers because our, our clients like what we do for them, and they have a friend or family who needs something similar. And again, see what the, the actual treatment of the customer. If they feel that they've been treated, treated well and they, they taken care of, business is actually you know increased because of, of our work with them. Then they will recommend us. Then actually, they'll also know they'll recommend us well, so they will find ways to work with us even more so. So, with many of our customers, for example, we began with them on a on a say a, you know X. Uh, per month, for instance, for our annual contract, and we grew that by 10x, for example, in the span of a year and a half. That's which way typical way of working with with Goodman Lantern, because the Goodman Lantern, you know, we we like to uh, prove uh, our ability to actually help and make life easier for our customers. And many a times our customers will start with something small because they want to see what, what we can do for them. And as they understand our capability and the way we work as a company and how different we are for servicing our, our customers, they want to find ways to improve and increase the work with us. So you know, so it happens, you know, with business typically we'll have a recommendation from a customer, but also we'll find ways we'll
0: find ways to kind of see what they want want to do with the business and see if we can help them with that. So, do you have like a formal structure that you use to encourage referrals? Because I know there's a component of you just doing good work, and somebody's going to naturally refer you. But then there's also the job of the business to make sure that there's structures in place to actually facilitate those kinds of referrals and those relationships. So, do you have like a specific affiliate structure, or how do you make that work? Yeah,
1: I mean, I must say we don't have affiliate structure as such. We 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 are open to offering a percentage to our customers. Uh, for the business they bring us, but typically our clients don't don't even need that motivation. Hmm. You know, they they know that if they refer a friend or family to us, that we'll treat them correct, uh, that we will take care of the business. And literally, you know, that's what it's all about, really. And we we don't uh as such have affiliate link, for example, or affiliate sure. page, for instance, uh to motivate them. It just it's just natural. And I think that's the the testament of what, what we do as a company, we, we really focus on taking care of our customers in the right way, and then at the end of the day, it's their choice.
0: It's interesting because I feel like there's like you know there's two sides of the... There's two arguments, right? You can make the argument that you need to incentivize them monetarily. But at the same time, there's your argument, which is also incredibly valid. It's just like, if you just do a good job for people and treat them like a human being and give them a great experience, they're going to refer you naturally. And it's almost like if you're incentivizing somebody too much financially, you might not even get the right fit clients because it's like they know that they're just going to make money and they're going to toss you someone. And so I think that's a really good thing is like you've set it up so that you just giving people a great experience. They're going to naturally want to refer you. And the people that they're going to refer you to are people that are like them, which is really important. They're not going to go out of their way to try to find people that to cram into the situation where at night, right. might not be a good fit. Um, so, That's very interesting. And the other thing I wanted to dive into was, I know you're very aligned with a social mission. And I think this is another thing that probably makes you so referable and just like awesome people. So tell us a little bit about the social mission that you're so passionate about and why you're so passionate about it.
1: Well, in technology, which has been part of most of my life, uh, I've seen that it's a very male-dominated industry. You know, technology, digital marketing as well to some extent is very male-dominated. And I fundamentally believe that women, if, if given the opportunity, can do a fantastic job at what they do. And it's a mission as a company to empower women within our, our business, our industries, and to help our ecosystem neutralize a little bit. You know, this whole macho or male dominated industry to kind of have more women in there. Testament the is that every country which has women or female uh, leadership Better in combating the coronavirus compared <laughs> to male uh, dominated leadership, for example. I think it shows that actually yeah. women, if if given the right motivation and and, and, and given the right opportunities, will outperform their male counterparts. I've seen that in, in my school life, for example, I've seen that at university. And um, I want to just kind of showcase that more so as a, as a company. And so we actually hire you know 90% of, of our team. Uh, is, is, is 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 basically run by women. A le- uh, a leadership is also, also a women leadership. And it, it really makes me proud that we have today uh, a company which is run by women because you know they can showcase that they can perform better than men, for example. And as a man saying that, I don't think it seems wrong. But I'm, I'm actually also proud to say that often at times people have a social mission which they believe in and they do some charity work to kind of support it. This mission is part of our core value and also part of our core business. So we actually put money where our mouth is and we actually actually hire women and to, to have a more you know flexible, tangible business opportunity and help them grow as well. So they can hire more women within their uh, departments or maybe in you know, the future their companies, for example, and we can all help to make a change in this world. Also so you know, with my daughter growing up in the future, I want her to come to a more fair and 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 a more resilient economy and I hope that we all as male leaders can bring more women into our businesses
0: That's so powerful, and I love that you're aligned with that mission and I think it speaks true and that you you like show not tell and you do a really good job of that. I know you shared specifically that, you know, working in tech, you saw that there were lots of males in the leadership positions. Was there a specific story or instance where you were just like, wow, I really need to step up to the plate. Cause it's like, it's one thing to realize it and it's another thing to build your company around it. So like, is there, is there something that specifically happened to you that made you be like, Oh my gosh, I, I need to make sure that we're aligned with this.
1: Well, I mean, I don't have to go very really far. I mean, it was my own family and friend circle uh, growing up in, in, in in Asia, I saw that actually, uh, you know, many of them, you know, super smart, super bright, super motivated, but didn't have the same opportunities. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just found it to be so unfair. You know, it, I remember at my school, uh, amongst the top ten in academics, for example, you know, there was there was only sort of um, maybe five you percent know, women, and among the five percent women in engineering, you know, the the top ten. Was full of women, for example, and it's kind of sh- kind of showed that they were just brighter and more motivated than, than 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 male folks, and still didn't get the opportunity to kind of shine with, with the way with it did eventually in engineering. So that's an example in engineering, but that's true for almost every uh, industry we've seen. For instance, I've seen that within, as I said, my friend circle, my my family, and I. I think in this century. We should really change that. You know, it's 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 high time we kind of make it make it, make a change and actually make commit ourselves to this opportunity. And this is also part of the UN development goals as well, the UN SDGs as well. So I think all of us should think about how can we make an impact and how can we actually change what we believe in, and not just kind of say, oh, you know, I'm going to put one percent of my profits into this as a charity. But actually, say this is going to be a, a part of my business and my commitment to this mission which I have as a person as, as,
0: a, as a company founder as an entrepreneur you know I once heard entrepreneurs take are different because they take responsibility for a problem that isn't our own the majority of the world they have a problem they only take responsibility for the things that are immediately facing them so I love that you've taken this as your responsibility and that you you've, you've built it inside of your company as a way to actually make a difference. And yeah, I think it's absolutely incredible that you're aligned with that and that you're, you, you're supporting and creating systems around making sure that there's change happening. Um, another thing that I wanted to make sure that I asked you was you mentioned it briefly in the past was that you've built a remote company culture. So in, in the, the company that I've worked with in the past, we are also remote and I know it's really hard to make sure sometimes that, you know, you don't have the same in-person building out or like, Relationship building opportunities to make sure that people are aligned. So, do you have any things that you've done specifically inside of Goodman Lantern that have helped you to facilitate relationships amongst employees, even though the, the team is re, uh, remote?
1: So, remote working is not new for me. I've been doing this for the, for the last um, say ten years in the company. So, even within the, even within the European company, I worked with, worked in. I was the first non Spanish non in the office person. So I was like the first remote person, which back then they called it called, called people in the cloud. That was what it was called. In the cloud. <laughs> it was You're kind of floating. funny. Yeah, exactly. It was just like up in the air somewhere. So, <laughs> so, so I mean, obviously uh, I believe in it. I think actually remote working I mean, clearly is the future. I mean, non-pandemic times, we all know that that is the only way to survive. Um, but maybe... Three, four, five years back, people were not not really keen on it. To be honest, they always thought like you know, that remote working is going to be be tricky. I mean, actually, it is tricky, but but actually, it's still feasible. It is it's a very feasible thing to actually to actually happen. I think it begins and starts with the same thing, which is you know core values. You know, you bring in people you trust. You bring in people who are aligned with you, people who have the same sort of vision for the future for their careers and for the company. That's the first place we start. And then there's obviously a lot of, you know, software you can bring in. You can bring in sort of, you know, um, ways to help your teams communicate through remote chats, for example, encouraging like Zoom, for instance, regularly. And, you know, within a remote structure, if you were talking to your teams, say, three times or four times per day in person, you have to make it eight times within remote teams. So I think the more we can encourage remote teams to talk to each other, more as a company, you know, so not only one-to-one, but one-to-many and many-to-many-to-one, it actually really helps to form a, a team culture. I think, again, you know, where possible we try to, um, you know, make people meet each other in person. So we try to do these retreats, for example. Um, we do these kind of get-togethers to play, for example. I mean, we have this, like, silly bingo, which is, like, a very popular uh, sort of very popular now more in the older folks than the younger ones. But <laughs> coming back coming back in, in the UK, we have Disco Bingo, for example, in the UK, where basically you have a disco and you've got bingo at the same time. But but for our, within our company we do like bingo um you know Fridays where we, we we play bingo together. We send our teams, for example, a couple of things to kind of you know wear or, or drink or eat and we kind of chit chat around sort of having a, a virtual um uh, sort of Coffee or or drink, for instance, Uh, we we try and organize, you know, virtual get-togethers, which which could be a a magic show, for example, or, 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 you know, just a a discussion about Harry Potter. We we all love Harry Potter. (laughs) Um, So so I think it's it's about sort of trying to replicate some of the water cooler and the physical uh, world experiences into a virtual setting and allowing people in different time zones sometimes to actually come together. With a, with a reason, with a passion, because at the end of the day, like myself, my team is also in the same mindset. This is this is this business is not sort of a, a work only for them is equally um, motivational to kind of work in the good momentum because it brings them structure. It brings them motivation in the form of our social goals aligned with them, for example, so that motivation them further Plus, it is a, a different way of being. Most of my, my team members in the past worked in a, in, in a physical location, and it wasn't as flexible or as vibrant as been Melanchthon. Today, what we bring for our team members is an opportunity which is completely unique. We encourage them to be, you know, to be leaders. We encourage them to we invest in their future, and we will all work together to form a, a great company, and that's what makes us different.
0: It's funny because we, as a company, remote company, we had tried doing some like virtual coffee, and it just ended up being like awkward, you know. And so I feel like there's definitely a right and a wrong way to do it. And I love that you're doing specific activities. And it's funny; it kind of ties back to the very beginning when we were talking about how the hen party company started. I feel like somebody listening to this right now, maybe you could pick up and run if you could create a team building company for virtual teams. I can only imagine how much more much. How relevant that's becoming is because it's it's a tricky thing to crack it's like if you're facilitating these relationships with people, so maybe if somebody's listening right now there's a multi million dollar business for you right there is figuring out how you can do <laughs> some kind of like organization for creating create uh remote co- com- company culture and team building and all that kind of stuff so that's awesome and you also said I think I came across somewhere you said you have an anti boring policy to the way you do things. What does that mean
1: uh well, I mean, it, it's it's I don't remember things things per se, but I, I can tell you one thing for for sure is that nothing within Cumilant is boring. You know, literally every quarter we have a new um, new mission, new vision, an improvement on the plan we had last quarter. For example, like we we never stand still. It's not yeah. like you know we are like kind of like oh you know, we don't have the same plan for the, the next three years. You know, steady eddies, and we just kind of stay there and we just kind of let it grow. Like every quarter, every month, we have a, a sort of a new take on the problem we are in, the challenge we're kind facing, or the growth opportunity we have. And we, as a team, put our minds to it to really focus on um, finding a solution for it. So, again, I think it's a similar answer to the previous question you asked me. At the end of the day, it is about the team really coming together. It's not like Goodman Lantern is Raj. That Raj is it's Raj's job to figure out a way to grow this company further. It's our job as a collective to to work on the ideas and to really push the company forward. And and that's what is different about Goodman Lantern. We kind of really focus on, you know, that to be a fun environment to work in. You know, like like just today I was talking to the team about a, a new incentive we have, which is to um, basically, allow our teams to buy to upgrade, upgrade the computers. For example, so we will we will do, give them a, a a a twelve months to, to twenty four months free uh, you know uh, no interest interest free loan so they can upgrade their mobile phones, their laptops. Uh, just because we think it's important, and just because we think that sometimes people struggle with the current computers, they go out of out of you know uh, uh, out of sort of. Uh, Firepower very quickly these computers to be honest. So why don't we all upgrade them, you know, and let them buy whatever they want to buy. So we, we'll give them an interest-free loan. Go ahead and buy what you what you think is, is appropriate for you. And it's just these kind of small incentives, you know, which allow our teams to sort of think about, you know, why are we a family? Why are we really, why are we really thinking about the, the next next thing in a different way? Because at the end of the day, we all have the same hours. We all have the same ingredients to make our Make, make make our uh our, our meal, it's just that how we do it do it makes a difference really for a chef. So as a, as a as a bunch of chefs, we're trying to find an, a new innovative way to make like interesting for our team members within good I
0: love that. It's coming up over and over. It's all about the team. It's all about the team. And it's really cool that you, you guys integrate that everywhere. So I know we're wrapping up on time. So there are a few kind of quick questions that I thought would be fun to dive into with you. Um, as a remote worker, I'm like a super tech nerd when it comes to software, I'm always buying new software and that kind of stuff. Do you have any tools or toys? It could be, you know, like a physical thing or a software that that you're really liking and enjoying right now.
1: Um, so one thing we use quite a quite a bit at the moment is teamwork.com. So it's a bit like monday.com um, or project management tool like Basecamp, but also have, has a, a chat element as well. So you can do like real-time chat with that with the team members as well. We love it because all our customers currently are on teamwork as well, and we use that as a project management tool. You actually build stuff on top of that, for instance. So actually we use APIs to build stuff on top of that to, to help it. And, you know, making lives easier with APIs and stuff like that, for instance. So, um, you know, I really recommend teamwork. Um, also, I mean, you know, we are big on Google Docs, for example. I mean, pretty much Google Docs is, you know, everyone is, is Google Docs, and I think it's a great, powerful tool, especially for when it comes to content writing. Uh, it, it's really helpful to have a real-time sort of um, opportunity to see, to see what we're currently working on, and allow them to just kind of see our progress, for instance. Well, collaborate with them as well to assign tasks to each other, for instance, or comments feature to look at. So I recommend Google Docs as well as a, as a tool.
0: Yeah. Google Docs is, I'm, I love Google Docs. I'm obsessed with it. Everything is on Google Docs for me. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, next question I wanted to ask, kind of an interesting one. If you had to start over, if you, if you, like next month something happened where you had to start over from scratch, it's just you, what does the first 30 days look like if you were starting a company from scratch from the very beginning, knowing what you know now?
1: I'm going to go and hire all the team members I, I don't have now because I've left them because starting all over again. So I'm going to go and hire them all again, first of all. And uh, that will be my, my first, maybe my first day will be that. Second day will be to kind of think about what we want to do together. So, you know, sometimes I think I'm guilty of not bring them into the planning stage from day one. And if I, if I would start again, I would bring them into the planning stage straight away. Mm-hmm. Had they been bought in early on, uh, and had I found them on day one, I would actually be in a much better position today. We must we were scaled up much faster uh, as a company. So certainly, you know, bring the, bring the team uh, and making sure that they were brought into the planning stage really early on.
0: Awesome. Cool. And then uh, other quick question, rapid fire is if you could kind of like put this all on a bumper sticker, if somebody could only take away like one main thing from our conversation today, what would it be that you would want them to make sure that it's stuck in their brains?
1: I'll probably two things, but I mean they're pretty similar. So, so, so one is find the best possible team you can delegate your company tasks and future to. Number two is don't work in the business, work on the business.
0: Awesome. Nice and succinct. Bumper sticker friendly. <laughs> we can pick those out. <laughs> awesome. Well, Raj, this has been a blast. I've I've enjoyed this conversation very much. I know our listeners will love it so much. So where can they find out more about the cool work that you're doing right now? So obviously
1: you can find us on uh on goodmanlantern.com. So Goodman Lantern if you google that, you'll find find us as the first link. Or you can you can find me on LinkedIn as well. I'm Raj Goodman Anand. If you just search for me on on LinkedIn Feel free to add me and drop me a message. I'd love to, love to hear from people. So please, please do drop me a message.
0: Cool. And that's definitely where we first connected. So uh, it's been great getting to know you. So awesome to have you on the show. Like I said, I know people will get a lot of value for this. So thank you so much for sharing your insights. And this has been a blast. And I'm sure we'll talk soon.
1: Thank you, Ben, for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Love the talk.
0: Hey, it's Brandon here again, and I have a quick favor to ask before you head off, and that is if you are listening to my voice right now and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help me a ton if you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show. And if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves. And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week